This is Call and Shots. I am Seth Pardno of The Athletic and many other places. A um, little bit of a different episode today. Earlier this week, I had the good fortune of having a conversation with uh, one of the lead screenwriters of HBO's Winning Time series about the Showtime Lakers, uh, Ronnie Barnes. We spoke um, midweek uh, after the fourth, but before the fifth episode had aired. Um, and really, I thought the fifth episode, which aired earlier tonight, uh, focusing uh, in large part on, on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, was uh, one of the stronger episodes of the series so far. I really enjoyed it so far. But... Um, welcome to uh, my... my... It sounds weird. My very special guest. I know that, that, that sounds like we're doing a, you know, a holiday episode or something. But uh, the, the the writer of of, win, of Winning Time, uh, the the show based on Showtime uh, by by Jeff Perlman, uh, Ronnie Barnes uh, joins me on on calling shots today. Ronnie, how are you doing? I'm hanging in there. So how are you? I'm doing well. I I really appreciate you coming on. Well, I'm happy to be here. Love yeah. talking basketball. Love talking winning time. Yeah, uh, I was before we started recording. I was I was telling you that the first time I heard about this show was a couple of years ago. Um, a, a friend of a friend of mine and my wife's growing up uh, told me, "Hey, uh, I don't know anything about basketball, but I'm working on this show about the Lakers. Um, were they kind of a big deal?" Um, and and so I, yes, that 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 was a that was a fairly important uh, team. So how yeah. did how did uh, how did you come to be involved in this project, and, and okay. sort of what's been the pathway of, of getting to here? Yeah, so um, Jim Hecht, one of the executive producers on the show, uh, read this book called Showtime: um, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, or something like that. There's some other words that come after Showtime by Jeff Perlman, and he optioned the book and got the book to Adam McKay read the book and loved the book and got it set up at HBO. And so they were looking for a writer uh, to come on and shepherd the project. And they hired Max Bornstein, who I've been writing with for the past decade or so. And he called me and asked me, would I like to join him in this adventure? That would be eventually called Winning Time. And so that's how I became involved. So, I was looking through some of your your past credits, and uh, this is you know th- th- there's not that many of them, but this is the first sports show or or fictionalized show based on give or take pro wrestling, I guess mm-hmm. that that yes. you, that you've worked on. Um, something I've sort of always wondered is why aren't there more shows about shows that are about sports? Well, it seems like they generally in recent years they've been pretty good. And well liked. There just haven't been that many of them. Well, I think it's hard to do a show. It's hard to do basketball, like uh, dramatized basketball, better than what real basketball is. So oftentimes you get some real, really bad versions of um, sports shows. It's got to be about something else. In this instance, everyone from the players to the coaches to the, the the folks that operate the business of basketball are using basketball to fill some type of void in their lives. So you could kind of separate basketball away from the theme of the show and really insert anything because it's really about the people that are doing the thing, not necessarily the thing itself. How did you, I, so full disclosure, I haven't read the book that it's based on, so I don't know how much that, uh, I am familiar with Jeff Perlman's work, uh, some of the other, the other books he's written. And, 
Um, I'm guessing that that sort of motif was not something that was in sort of the, the, the source material, but something that you are using as more of a dramatic device. Well, the book is sort of the foundation, the wellspring that a lot of things come from. But fortunately for us, everybody, with the exception of Dr. Buss, wrote a book like the, of the main people that are around us. So when we went into the deep dive research process, um, those that book, other books, articles, YouTube, um, we had technical advisors. We had a myriad of folks come in and just give us information on the team, you know, the folks that were um, at the center of the story we're trying to tell. And, um, you know, it was a lot of source material, but the foundation of it was just book. And my understanding is that sort of of the people did, um, the majority of them were not involved in any way, obviously. No, no. <laughs> With Norm Nixon being the, the main exception as his, he's being played by his son on the show. Yeah, uh, no, Rick Fox was uh, one of our technical advisors, uh, Gary Beatty came in for a little while and we had other folks that other employees that came in you know every once in a while and gave us some stuff but uh none of the the core team uh of that time no so speaking of the core team and this is that it is you know as a, a basketball fan in my 40s like the showtime lakers i i grew up a celtics fan so the showtime mm. lakers obviously um uh, my father's from Boston. I came by it naturally. Understood. Uh, understood. <laughs> um, uh, the, the Showtime Lakers are obviously one of the just sort of the foundational, indelible teams. Um, well, did you feel any sort of extra pressure in terms of, of really bringing what is a beloved, well-known, hyper-mythologized, you know, era of basketball to, to the screen? Even if, you know, the ba- as you say, the basketball is sort of tangential almost to the story you're telling. No, I was a big fan of um, that era in general. I was a huge 76er fan when you talk about the Celtics. And so that rivalry between the Sixers and the Celtics, and Dr. J in particular, I loved that team. And, uh, you know, they were actually as competitive, I think, with the Celtics as the Lakers were. And so for me, it was sort of a, a trip down memory lane to be able to tell the story of something that I actually remembered from my childhood um and it wasn't so much it was more intrigue than i think um pressure because a lot of people forget things of that era that was sort of attached to it the aba was uh when they merged with the nba in 77 the game of basketball they, they kind of brought a culture with them and i think i remember dunking and alley-oops and the athletic style of play that was on the playgrounds was sort of frowned upon. Um, when I played the game and when I watched the game, you know, you would have announcers that sort of weren't really fond of uh, that style of play. And I think Magic and the Showtime Lakers were able to create a sense of control chaos to where they took the street game and were able to um, harness it into a way that you could depend on it more so than just guys who ran up and down the floor. So there was some semblance of structure to it. And you needed a Magic Johnson, you needed a Michael Cooper, you needed guys who could fly and eventually a James Worthy. Um, and still being able to kick the ball into Kareem and get the sky hook as well, which was attached to a different, that older style of play. Um, you know, the big man on the block uh, type of thing. But 
I think they revolutionized it in such a way that when you look at modern basketball today and the athletic nature of it, it's hard not to look at the Showtime Lakers as sort of being the beginning of that evolution. It's funny, just hearing you describe that, that seems a lot like the sort of the debate we've had over the last, I, I don't know, decade or so. Um, as, you know, there was the, the very defense-first, um, big-man-centric kind of early aughts, and then, you know, moving into, you know, the modern pace and space, shoot, get up and down the floor, shoot a bunch of threes. So it's, Yep, seven-footers. Seven-footers yeah. shooting three-pointers. Yeah, it was. You, you would have your head examined if you uh, yes. if you tried to have if you tried to, you know. They, they I remember Don Nelson would occasionally let Minute Bull chuck him up from from three, and everyone thought that in was the fourth the, quarter. Yeah. in the fourth quarter, not when it actually mattered. But Mark <laughs> Eaton would not have been shooting three pointers, or no. Greg Ostertag, or any of those. Oh. Guys. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's a real, real name. Some guys, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um. And I thought that, I thought that was well in in the latest episode. I thought that was well portrayed in kind of the uh, almost the the the, uh, the existing players almost like led by led by the, the the version of Kareem that we see kind of I don't want to say sneering at it, but very very skeptical of of, yeah. of doing it doing it this way. Um, and and I imagine that's that that uh, I mean that that obviously is a representation of things that actually happened. Um, but, uh, but I guess my question is: is you know, obviously for dramatic purposes, there's some liberties being taken with, with the facts. I mean, if, yeah. if you will, is that you, you have to, you know, when you, you're trying to condense decades of storytelling up down to an hour, uh, or in some cases weeks or months, um, you have to connect those things with um, creative license. But when, in Kareem's case, you say. A guy that went to Power Memorial in high school and learned how to be the classic big man. And then you go to John Wooden at UCLA, and that's, you know, even then that's sort of galvanized even more into your head of what a big man is supposed to be. And he play against, you play against Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain and some of the greatest centers of all time. And now all of a sudden you've got to take all of that, kick it out of your head and run up and down the floor like gazelles. Um, yeah, I think uh, even if we don't have all of the facts to go with us, I can uh, I can use my imagination and say probably it wasn't met with the same level of oh yeah let's let's throw everything I've learned out of the window and now we're just going to run up and down the floor. Um, yeah, so I, I think from everything that we learned in research, but also just understanding the evolution of the game, probably we met with a little resistance. It's uh, maybe it's it's not accurate, but it's true. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, so the really interesting, uh, another really interesting thing I found is obviously you know Magic Johnson is one of the most recognizable people in the world. I think it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you find someone to to agree to a to a a a certain extent as well, but especially Magic. Um, mm-hmm. How do you go about, like, both writing that character and finding someone who can who can pull it off? Uh, Quincy Isaiah like has some resemblance to Magic, but it's mostly mostly like similar smile. Uh, yeah, I mean, but... I, I I think in the case of uh, Quincy, you know, we got lucky, and Francine Basler, our casting director, um, did a great job uh, 
in finding him. But the, the find isn't just, like you said, it's not just looking like magic. I think they have some things, you know, some resemblance there. But And it's not just the smile, it's the energy that he exudes. Like Quincy's a really happy guy who happens to come from Michigan, who, unders- who understands the cadence of the language, the nature, that thing that's within like when you were talking about Boston, if you're from Boston, there's a very specific way people talk, the way people move, the way people behave. Um, I think there's a similar thing with Quincy's understanding. No shade there, right? <laughs> no, not. And when I say behave, I'm not saying it in a way that uh, is negative. I'm just saying you understand the culture of right. the area. It's a very specific area. Um, and I'm, I'm from Maryland. And I can tell Maryland accents. Like, one of the things, I love The Wire as a television show. But a lot of times, people didn't talk like, Idris Elba did not sound like he was from Maryland at the time. And there's a very specific cadence to the way that people talk. And so I think, um, in Quincy's case, he understood um, a lot of what was under that character and not just basically doing an impersonation of Magic Johnson. Um and I think he pulls it off really, really well because that's naturally who he is. And in the case of uh, Solomon, you know, Dr. Solomon Hughes, you know, who is a really educated guy, an educator, who loves jazz, played professional basketball, um, happens to be seven foot tall, um, and is a thinker. You know, it's sort of on both hands. The stuff that you need on the inside in order to be able to tell the story, both of these guys have. And to me, that's the part that um, is the exceptional part. You can always find folks that resemble, you know, the other folks and maybe be solid actors. But in this case, they have to be believable as basketball players, as athletes, and as actors as well. So they're, they're carrying a lot more water sometimes than just guys who have to do one thing because they have to do a couple of things. And proud of both of them, proud of what they do, think they do a great job. So I want to ask about the basketball a little bit and then kind of get to the characterizations as well. Um, first of all, uh, uh, Quincy Isaiah is right-handed. Is that, am I, am I, am I wrong? I just, um, is he right-handed? I've never paid attention. Uh, it's, it, because um, it, it, it's one of those things where, where you, you, uh, you, you the, the, the basketball scenes are are are, con, are very convincing, but it's sort of as you're watching them, you're 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 looking for for um, this is this is going to sound like a mild criticism, I guess, but in some ways, okay. like the bas- the basketball scenes are almost too good. Like there was a, the, in, in the pilot in the first episode, there's a scene where uh, Magic is playing against his father, who's like dribbling between his legs, and it's like. That looks like a guy today going between his legs much more than it would of a guy who was who had who had played in sort of the the Bob Cousy at the ball era. But that's Are you talking you know, about uh, Magic and his dad, Rob yeah. Morgan. Yeah, Rob yeah. Morgan? Oh, okay, All right. yeah. No, it's, but it's, it's it's you know it's one of those things. If you once you know you know if you uh, if if someone were to make a show about screenwriting. You'd, uh, you'd, you'd pick everything that they got wrong out of it, you know, and be completely an unfair critic. But it, um, that's an aside. I'm, I'm, uh, but how, so how do you, like, write the basketball? I mean, all those things happened. And, again, it's exceedingly well-known and, and you know, and mixtapes and ESPN Classic and stuff like that. Um, how do you go about writing that in a way that that is is fresh and new 
Well, we're not writing basketball per se. We're capturing right. moments that are connected to story. I think, um, again, I was saying this earlier, you know, you have some shows like I remember The White Shadow and some other shows that were basketball themed. Um, and you can tell it's sort of, um, it's choreographed. And not to say that ours isn't, but we're only looking for moments. And those moments are tip typically attached to story like there's a thing we're trying to the team is doing better because x is doing better there's something with this coach clicking and he's click with magic and norm and so they're about to go do a thing that's building off of the thing that you've seen happen earlier within the story we're not doing like you know uh, this is the first quarter and they're up by this and then the second quarter we go into the halftime it's like we're only getting slices of basketball and, you know, it, it'll grow as we're getting closer to, um, you know, finally getting to the playoffs and that type of thing. But we're not doing basketball for just the sake of basketball. We're attaching basketball to story. So it makes it easier when you're doing a 30-second shot, you know, or a 15-second shot of a game um, and not necessarily having to carry a whole narrative based off the game. So is is it then in in filming? Is it do you have kind of a specific set of of interactions and moves? Kind of in is that even just like stage direction that you know crosses over spins or or, or how to or like how to just the mechanics of how do you even go about capturing those moments or creating those moments to capture? So Don Ravine is our basketball uh, choreographer trainer he does everything when it comes to basketball and what we'll do is we'll have a moment in a script that sort of uh, captures what we're talking about right now and we'll take it out and get it on its feet like you know we have a moment with uh, Larry Bird where we're trying to show that Larry Bird talked a bunch of stuff too and wasn't afraid of anyone and uh, you know we'll say okay we'll create a play and it'll be within the guise of more play, but we'll capture a moment of Larry Bird doing that thing. And it might take, in real time, um, maybe two or three minutes to shoot, but we'll only capture that part that we need to put into the show. So that part that we put in the show might be, like I said, 15 to 20 seconds, but we'll run two minutes, three minutes worth of play capture that part that we get so or that we needed that makes sense um so getting back to like the uh, characterization of 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 some of the people um one of the one of the people i find most interesting so far in the episodes i've seen is, is pat riley um just because i mean there's a lot of pat riley out there right now because the the heat are, are are doing well obviously i don't know if you've read chris herring's uh book about the about the, the it's 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 fabulous uh, okay. about the '90s Knicks and obviously mm-hmm. like Pat Riley yeah yeah Pat Riley is the central character in that um, mm-hmm. we we sort of know the the champion slicked back hair version of Pat Riley and it's 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 kind of thrilling to see the origin story of mm-hmm. of that um, it, it strikes me that that he might have been from having read about him in, in Chris's book that his his sort of driving feature w- was one of the easier to come about because it was it was well understood already with, mm-hmm. with with you know being motivated by his dad's um, kind of 
almost success as an athlete? Mm-hmm. It's easy to capture that from, um, you know, wanting to do the thing that his dad uh, wasn't able to do, but still s- sort of falling in a place of mediocrity as well. But um, finding his sea legs and eventually finding the place that I think he was always destined for. Um. And you, uh, I think Adrian Brody is a pretty inspired piece of casting there as well. I'd like to say he, he he has a very similar energy to what we kind of know of of, of Pat Riley. Um, uh, one one, if you follow basketball media at all, one you know, there's been a lot of talk about the portrayal of Jerry West. Mm-hmm. Um, having been around like basketball coaches and execs a fair amount. Uh, I found it entirely believable that this that that, that it, like someone being just like very successful and absolutely miserable. Yeah. Um, but can you can you uh, you know describe to me how sort of you you hit on this like that sort of characterization of 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 the logo? Research. I mean, everything <laughs> that we everything we read, everything we found, everyone we talked to, basically said that this was. You know, the idea, the composite idea of who Jerry West was, um, certainly during that period of time. And and I think um, I, I think for us, I don't look at it, you know, I've seen some people talk about it in a negative fashion. You know, to me, I think guys who are incredibly competitive and passionate, um, sometimes, you know, their filter is different than um, – what a lot of folks are is like they cut right to the chase and they get right in your face. And, you know, I've had coaches like that during my period of life and I've known players like that as well. It seems to be a thing with highly competitive people. And, you know, I I don't see it as a negative for sure. I mean, the part of that's um, problematic for him, you know, certainly I'm empathetic to him for that. But I think uh, Jason Clark, who plays uh, Jerry West, does a fantastic job playing him. And I think he's one of the more intriguing characters in the show. Sure. And, you know, for the purposes of drama, it's kind of, you've, you've hit upon this one character, this sort of the, this driving force. And then um, I imagine it's a little bit like, you know, one of your previous was Heels, uh, the pro wrestling <laughs> show. And it's always, like people always say that your wrestling character is you turned up to 11. Yeah. It seems like it seems like that's a lot of. Uh, I think probably more noticeable than anyone else in the show. It seems like it's like you've picked out this essential thing about Jerry West and kind of intentionally turned it all the way up. Yeah, I, I would say that. I mean, I think during a period of time where, if um, you know, another wrestling term about it being hot. I mean, if we're looking at the period that Jerry's operating in, it's when. You know, he's going through a pretty difficult period where he's deciding not to be a coach anymore. He's trying to find his way in life. Um, he's in a period of transition. So if there's any period to heighten, I think this would be it. If we were finding him where he is now, you know, as an executive or a consultant or at other periods, portrayal. But I think now going through what he's going through from um just again the notion of everything turned to 11 um it 
I'm trying to figure out the right way to ask about this is, is it does seem like um, everything from the way it's shot to the sort of the, the, the quick intercuts to, to sort of other things that are happening. Um, it does seem like the, the show itself is, is kind of um, heightened in a way. It's not, it's very obviously not intended to be realistic. Is that realistic? Is maybe the wrong word, but you know do you understand? Do you know what I'm asking? I think I understand what you're saying. Because yeah. um, I think it's realistic. I think if you're saying that we use devices to tell story within story, like breaking the fourth wall um, and intercutting and, and certain things, yeah. Um, but I do think that there is reality that's under it. I mean, there's stuff, there's a lot of stuff, life, death, um, uh, people coming of age aspects to certain characters like Jenny Buss. Um, racial components and things and speaking to culture and patriarchy and a bunch of other subject matter that I think lands in a pretty realistic way. Um, if you're saying the devices that we use to get that stuff across, a lot of that is um, purposeful. You know, I think a lot of it is uh, the Adam McKay uh, way of telling story, which has been um, worked really, really well, you know, over the years. And I think it works well for us. I, I think your you're realistic is the wrong. Naturalistic is probably the probably would have been a, a better yeah, word. Not, if you're saying it's not point and shoot in a linear yes. way of just telling <laughs> story, you're right. Yes, absolutely. Um, so obviously Jerry Buss is the is the center of of this, and um, as you said earlier, he's the sort of the, the person who kind of told his own story like afterwards the least. Um, was that a challenge or was that freeing or was, or both? Uh, it was a challenge. I mean, I think if you don't have a lot of information on someone, you know, in, in real life, his mother passed away a couple of years before all of this took place. And we brought her in to sort of ground him because you don't want to make a caricature of a guy, of an owner who's just sort of... Um, I guess Hugh Hefner is one way that you could go about, you know, the party guy who's rich. And it's hard to create layers with that type of uh, character. But as a son, you know, um, in a difficult position, it's uh, easier to humanize him and to create some semblance of balance uh, between the guy that you see in one hand that seems to have himself together then on the other hand, is struggling with some things. And so in order to be able to create some semblance of empathy for that character, you got to give him, um, you know, he has strengths in one area and challenges in another. There's an element of fake it till you make it about yeah. about that character. Um, and yeah. I, I think, I feel like that's something we've seen a fair amount, but there's, there is something... Um, there's, there, there's something more, as you said, I think there's something that gives you more sympathy to, to him than in, in most characters where, or many portrayals of that kind of character where it's like, all right, this is a bad guy, but we're going to go with him because it's fun. And right. It does seem like there's a little more to him than that. Um, <laughs> I assume that's intentional. And how do you go about layering that in? Like, what are what are some 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 beats that you that you specifically think of to? That, that give it that, that sort of uh, weight and humanity that it's, it's not just this uh, look at this guy getting away with everything. 
Well, I, I think in the nature of the struggle, you have to understand in order to empathize with why he wants the Lakers um, so badly and why it's important for him, for them to win, not just because, you know, it's my sports team and uh, I'm a rich guy and I bought this thing and I need them to be a winner for my ego. But I think for Dr. Buss, it's more about emotional survival as well. Um, sort of to prove to yourself that you're worthy and using sports back to what I was saying that I can do this and I think for guys and I can say this in my own life as well you know when you have a, um, a Herculean task in front of you and there's imposter syndrome and insecurity and a bunch of other things um, and you face those things I think from an audience's perspective, you know, we all sort of wrestle with those things to lesser or greater degrees. And if you can create a character, even if a guy who has a couple of bucks in his pocket still wrestles with those same demons, it's easier to empathize with him and root for a guy like that, even if he's flawed. If you can see some of the, the shortcomings in him that you may see in yourself. So... One of the other other main characters is Jeannie Buss, and and kind of like Pat Riley, it's it is um, sort of a little a little jarring to almost uh, to to see the portrayal of her at that stage of her life um, than than it is now. Um, I don't. Know, I'm not even sure I have a question there. Other than it's just it's it's no, it's it's you know even even Pat Riley like the through line from the, from here to there is 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 you know maybe it's because we know the story so well because we watched it. But um, was she? Um, first of all, I don't know. Was she a, ma- a major player in the in in the the source material? And then um, how did that character sort of come together? Now, when you say a major player in the source material, do you mean did we talk to her, or do you mean no? In in in, in like uh, Jeff Perlman's book, and, and yeah, she, she plays. Yes, she's a okay. part of Perlman's book. I mean, but she's still like oh, she's just coming out of being a kid. She, you know, she's in college at the time. So you know, like you said, when you're looking at um, Pat Riley and the evolution of Pat Riley, you're looking at the evolution of Jeannie Buss as well. So yeah. You know, the, the evolution of her from a student and an intern or working in the offices at the forum from there to now being an owner, you're seeing the beginning stages of that. Is there another version of the show where, like, she's the protagonist and instead of it being from Jerry's point of view, it's sort of it's sort of from her point of view in that in that sort of. Uh... Probably if she were older and actually. um more a part of the business of the Lakers at that time, yeah. And, you know, eventually she becomes the owner, so I could foresee a time when she would be the main protagonist. But right now, she's an intern, and she's in college. Sure. Um, so that's, I mean, how long, how how deep into the history of the Lakers does, does, does this show envision it to go? As, um, as many as many seasons as HBO will pay for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's that's it. Yeah, that you, yeah. you touched upon the answer. I mean, I think it's really as much as the public demands, and uh, we're afforded the opportunity to do. Uh, we love the material. We love the team. You know, we're fortunate in the sense that a lot of uh, 
the core players, Jeannie, Jerry West, uh, Magic Johnson, um, Pat Riley, they go deep into the story of, um, of the Kareem Magic years, and then some of them even transitioned over to the Shaq and Kobe years. So conceivably, you know, we could go on for quite some time, but that's really up to um, how the show is received over time and, and whether or not people take it. Uh, and I guess uh, last question here before I before I let you get out of here and thank you again for being oh, you're so welcome. generous gen, so generous with your time and thoughts is um, what have, have you heard kind of uh, um, any reaction from people in and around um, you know the, the the Lakers scene or professional basketball or the just the basketball world more broadly and, and if so what kind of what what has been some of the the things people have have kind of said to you about you know what they're seeing yeah um everything not so much from the lakers but friends of mine in the league and in other sports leagues really dig it um haven't had any negative uh things most people hone in on a character that they like or a storyline that they like um but so far so good i mean we're only four episodes in so i'm gonna knock on wood but everything that i've heard has been positive up until this point I, I can I can echo that that uh, even though it was you know forty years before I worked in the league, there are aspects of of the operation of professional basketball that uh, uh, you know, I'll say it, it uh, maybe isn't accurate to today, but it's certainly true. So I think that's that we'll take it. So I think I think that's the the the, the compliment that I'll pay you on our way out and. Uh, once again, thank you so much for uh, for for your time. I've really enjoyed the show so far. Oh, and, uh, thank you. And uh, thank you. And I'll tell Pete you said hello. Thank you so much.